Welcome to Bethesda Broadcast, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Welcome back to our series on the Beatitudes called Healer of Hearts. Last week, we looked at how God heals our brokenness. Today, we will look at how God wants to heal our hopelessness. We encourage you to open up your Bibles and follow along with Pastor Roy. Wonderful to be in God's house with God's people. So thank you for singing uh, to the Lord, our God, who is worthy of praise. I'll give you one additional uh, prayer request to pray for. Um, Pam's dad, A.J. Walker, um, he had a third stroke a little over a week ago and uh, struggling. He's got a weak heart, kind of confused, and he's in a rehab facility right now. Pam will be flying back tomorrow, and will be gone for a couple of weeks uh, to be with her dad and mom, so we would appreciate your prayers uh, for them, and uh, that God would minister uh, to him. Today we're continuing our series that we began last week, Healer of Hearts. Last week we talked about that God heals our brokenness. We talked about the fact that God is aware of our brokenness. We talked about the fact that God knows the cause of our brokenness, our sin nature. He also knows the consequences of our brokenness, and he also has a cure. It's wonderful that there's a cure for our brokenness. So as we walk through this, the first step in recovery, and when I say recovery, we're recovering from sin. We're recovering from brokenness because of our sin nature. The first step is reality. Kind of goes through an acrostic, recovery, our reality step is to realize I'm not God. And God has incredible ways of reminding us of that, doesn't he? We have to admit that we are powerless to control our tendency to do wrong things, and our life is unmanageable. Apart from Jesus Christ and his power, we are powerless. Our life is unmanageable. If we could manage it ourselves, we don't need church, we don't need God, we don't need the Bible, we don't need anything. But it's not manageable apart from Christ. And that's why we need the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. Many people live in denial. They're unwilling to admit they need help. And denial will always keep a person from moving into recovery and finding healing in the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the the antidote to denial? God uses something in every one of our lives. The antidote to denial is pain. It's pain. That's what God chooses to use in our life to help us see the light. Because oftentimes we see the light, but it's not until we feel the heat that we actually want to change in our lives. And until we realize that the fear of change is less than the pain to stay the same, we will not change. We have to be willing to understand that the pain to change is less than the pain to stay the same. Otherwise, we won't change. God uses three denial busters. I'm just going to mention them quickly. Number one is crisis. It could be an illness. It could be stress. You could lose your job. You could face an overwhelming situation, something that throws you out of your routine that is unscheduled and unplanned. It's a crisis. God uses that in our lives to help us come out of denial when we have to face a crisis. 
Secondly is confrontation. How many of us love confrontation? Like the plague, right? Yeah, we don't like confrontation. None of us do. But somebody cares enough to say you're blowing it. Somebody loves you enough to confront you in truth and say you're missing out. You're about to lose your family. You're about to lose your health. All you want to do is work. You put something else ahead of church and you're hurting your family. Have you ever been confronted by that, by a loving person who says, you know what, church isn't really a priority in your life, something else is, and you're confronted with that and you bristle up against that. But they speak the truth in love, out of love and concern for you. And maybe it's God's pain of way of speaking to you. Thirdly is catastrophe. Catastrophe. You know, if you ever had a fire alarm go off in your house, what would you do? Oh, that stupid fire alarm. Somebody throw a rock at it. You know, Somebody put a blanket over that thing so I don't have to hear it. That's living in denial. God allows the crisis, confrontation, and catastrophes to come into our life like a fire alarm that goes off to say, you've got a problem. I'm flashing pain at you to help you realize you've got a problem you need to address in your life instead of just covering it up. But here's what people do when they have their fire alarm of pain going off in their life. They cover it up. How do they cover it up? Some cover it up with food. They medicate themselves with food. Others covered up with alcohol. Others covered up with drugs or sex. Some way to cover up the pain instead of dealing with it. God uses these three denial busters to help us get beyond the pain and to begin to work on it. In catastrophe, the bottom falls out physically, emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally. You hit the bottom, and here's what God says when you finally hit the bottom. I'm just going to step back. You want to be God, I'm going to let you. You want to be God? I'll let you be God. I'll let you mess up your life. I'll let you have pain in your life until you're willing to realize the pain I am giving you is trying to point you to me that you are powerless to change yourself. We are hopeless apart from Christ. And so God steps back and he lets us reap what we sow and we feel the full impact of our stupid decision. That's what he does. So we have to realize we're not God. We admit we're powerless to control our tendency to do the wrong thing. The second step is the hope step, though. We realize we're not God. We realize we're powerless to control our things, but there's hope. That's the wonderful part. There is hope. Step one says, I admit it, I'm helpless, I'm powerless. Step two says, it's a hope step, there's a power. And that power is Jesus Christ. He is the one who wants to help us recover. That's the good news. There's a power we can plug into that will help us handle things in our life that we cannot handle on our own. So here's what we have to do in the hope step. We have to earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to him, and that he has the power to help me recover. I believe that God exists. Doesn't that tell us what the scripture says in Hebrews eleven six? Anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So there are three steps, three parts to taking step two in this road to recovery. The first one is acknowledge 
God's existence. Now I realize most of us here probably believe that God exists. But even for people who don't believe the Bible, it's hard to deny the existence of God. In Romans 1.20, for instance, here's some verses that you can turn somebody to that if you run into somebody who's out there and they're in all kind of pain, and oh, there's no God, there can't be. Look at all the pain and the suffering in the world. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. He's saying we understand creation and the eternal God by what he made. We know he exists. He tells us in Psalm 19:1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. How utterly ridiculous that someone could possibly look at the cosmos and all the laws and everything that governs it in this solar system and everything in our, around us and to think that there's no God. I mean, imagine taking all the parts from a watch, tearing that watch apart, every little bit of that watch, throwing all those parts in a paper sack and shaking it up in hopes that if you shake it long enough and hard enough that you just open that bag up and all of a sudden it's a watch. All the parts work, everything's working, it's beautiful, it keeps time perfectly, and yet the world is a whole host of watches that God has put together. So if there's a creator, there's a creation. We see it. If there's a designer... It's because there's a design in creation that God has given to us. Where there is an effect, there must be a cause. And so we have to acknowledge his existence. And we don't have any problem doing that. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The truth is, God changes lives today. God exists. The real issue then is not, is there a God? That's not the main issue for most of us. It's, the real issue is, what kind of God is he? What kind of God is he? Does it matter? Because the truth is, a lot of people have strange views about what God is like and who God is. And unfortunately, many people get their views and their ideas about God by thinking he is like their parent or like a parent. That God is like their father or mother and for some people that's very tragic because if their father was aloof and unloving, they tend to view God the same way. If their parent was somebody to be feared, they think I need to be afraid of God. If their father was abusive, they tend to think God is abusive. And they, if they think God is uncaring, they transfer that over to God from their parent. And instead of making God making us in his image, we make God in our image. Sometimes I've heard people say, well, you know, my idea about God is... God is not interested in our ideas about God. He wants us to embrace his ideas and what he has said, who he is. So that moves us to the second step. 
what is God really like? The second step in the hope step is this. We acknowledge his existence, and secondly, we understand God's character. We understand his character. What is he really like? Because if I do not know who God really is and I do not understand his character, I will not trust him. How could I trust somebody I don't know? I don't. And therein lies the problem. If I don't really know God, I'm not going to trust him. So I need to know what he is like. I'm not going to trust something or someone I don't know. And fortunately, God wants us to know what he is like. So much so that he sent Jesus to the earth 2,000 years ago to take on human flesh to show us exactly what God is like. He tells us in Colossians 1 that Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God. He's saying, if you want to know what I am like, look at Jesus. He will tell you what I'm like. Just look at Jesus. He is the visible expression of the invisible God. When we look at Jesus, we learn three things about God that are important to help us understand his character and in the recovery process. Recovering from our sin, recovering from brokenness. Number one, God knows all about my situation. Oh, there is relief in that. He knows about my hurts, my hang-ups, my habits. He knows the good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows if I've had a tough week, a tough month, or a tough life. Here's what he said in Psalm. The psalmist said, Record my misery. Oh, did I say Psalm? I think it's actually Psalm, not Isaiah. Uh, Psalm 56, 8. Record my misery. List my tears on your scroll. Are they not in your record? This is saying that God knows all about me. He's recorded every miserable bad, horrible day, experience, thought that I've ever had. He knows it all. He knows how hopeless you might feel today. He knows how troubled you are. He knows when you're struggling and you can't keep your head above the water. God knows about that. He knows about your depression. He knows about the fear that is gripping your heart right now. Nothing escapes his notice. And notice what it goes on to say. Are they not in your record? And he says, list my tears on your scroll. Every tear we shed, God has kept a diary of every tear I've ever shed. Every tear you've ever shed. God has kept a diary. He knows exactly the hurt and the pain and the difficulty that I have gone through because he, it is on his scroll. He is not a distant God. He is not a high priest who is not touched with the feelings of our weakness. That gives me great hope. And I hope it does you as well. He's kept a diary. He knows the heartache, the pain, the tears. He says this in Psalm 31:7, "You saw my affliction and knew the anguish of my soul." God has perfect vision. He saw and he has perfect knowledge. He knew the anguish of my soul. 
He's seen the crisis. He has seen my brokenness. He has seen my hopelessness. It is not hidden from God. He goes on to say later in chapter 31, my life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. He even says later, you know, God, my folly. Do you know what he means by that? You know how foolish I've been. You know the stupid, dumb stunts I've pulled and you still love me anyway. There's nothing off the record with God. We have his attention 24-7. It's not, God is not shocked by my sin or your sin. He doesn't just look at it and say, oh, I didn't think about that. He was going to do that. She was going to do that. He knows it all. God not only knows about our situation, but this is deeper. God cares about my situation. Psalm 103, 13 and 14. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. I'm just a little bag of molecules. It compares me to dust. And he says he has compassion on that little bag of dust that's here for a short time. God cares about the little bag of dust. We're frail. We're not superhuman. God is tender and compassionate. He wants to be the father you never had. He says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. How can God love us and never quit? It's his character. It's his nature to love us. God is love. He showed his love for us in this, sending his son to die. Thirdly, God can change me and my situation. That's good news. Sometimes God chooses just to change me. Sometimes he chooses to change a situation Sometimes he chooses to change both. But God is in the changing business. That's good news. He's waiting on us to do it, though. He's not going to do it all for us. He is waiting on us. He will give us the power. Here's what he says in Ephesians 1.19. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe? God is the one who gives us the power to change. We cannot change ourselves. It goes on to say later in this passage, it is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the power at our disposal to change. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever find yourself paralyzed by procrastination? I know I need to do this, but I just can't get started. Do you ever feel like I just can't get on top of things? God says I've got the power. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can raise a dead relationship. He can do that. He can raise a person back to health. He can set you free from an addiction. God has the power to do that. If we trust him. He has the power to help you close the door on your past and not allow your past to defeat you in the present if you're willing. In Luke 18, 27, Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible 
with God. Some people have pain that is so intense and they have gotten stuck in the past and instead of dealing with life in the current, they're still living in the past. It's called the paralysis of analysis. Always looking backwards. You see, we have on a car, we have a windshield and a rearview mirror. To go forward, you've got to look out the windshield. To look behind you, you've got to look in the rearview mirror. The rearview mirror is important to give you perspective. And it is helpful for us to look in our past and deal with our past. But notice the rearview mirror is a lot smaller than the windshield. What happens is when we get them turned around and the rearview mirror is as big as the windshield. And we spend all our time looking in the rearview mirror. That's a problem. God wants us to move forward and not focus totally on the past. Thirdly, accept God's offer to help me. It's not enough just to believe in God. Most of us believe in God, but that doesn't automatically wipe away a hurt, a habit, or a hang-up in our life. We've got to plug into the power, and it's more than just believing. We have to take what God has to offer. In Philippians 2.13, he says, God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Notice, it is God who works in you to will and to act. It is not my willpower. It is not my strength. It is not my ability. It is not my intellect. It is the will and the power of God as it is unleashed in my life through saying, God, I need you. I need your help. Good intentions are not enough. Some people will say, you know, I don't even know if I want to change. And there are some people like that. They're not sure they want to change. They want to stay in their situation and bemoan the fact of this happened and that happened and, and just sit there and review their scars and never move on. I think you need to pray, God, I'm willing to be made willing. And you probably won't say that until the pain exceeds your fear of change. Because there is an element of fear in change. What happens when we open our life to God's power? When we ask the Spirit of Christ into our life, what does it do? The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy 1.7. God gives us not a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And every one of us need those things in our life. Let's think for a moment. Power. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power. I want power in my life. Why do I need God's power in my life? To break bad habits. Sinful habits. I want to be a, have power to do things that are right because I can't do them on my own. I need power to break free from my past, especially if I have painful memories. I need God to heal those painful memories in my life. I need power to live the kind of life God wants me to live. Then I need love, real love. I want to be able to love people and have them love me and let go of hurts that do not build up walls. 
Because when we build up walls, we're not experiencing love the way God wants us to. And we have what we call a fake intimacy. And we don't have genuine intimacy. Then self-control. When Christ is in control of my life, I can now practice a self-control that was not possible before. You see, there's a universal principle at work. And it's very simple. Things work best when they're plugged in. Toasters, blenders, all those things. TVs, radios, when they're plugged in, they work. And how does God's power work in our life? When we are plugged into God, we receive his power. And we plug in by faith. We open our lives and say, God, here's who I really am. Here's what I'm really struggling with. Here's what I really need. And God is able to help me. We believe and we receive. I believe and know that God knows about me and he cares about me. And he has the power to help me. The second step in recovery involves a four-letter word. Are you ready? Help. I need help. I need your help in my life. The road to recovery is not easy. It means facing up to some real problems that you have not wanted to deal with, and it takes risk. Not relying on your own willpower. I like this quote by N.T. Wright. We live in a world full of people struggling to be or at least to appear strong in order not to be weak. And we follow a gospel which says that when I am weak, then I am strong. And this gospel is the only thing that brings healing. And that's why I bring that message to us because it's the only hope that we have for our hopelessness. But I can guarantee you this, it will cure your hopelessness. It will heal your brokenness if you bring it to God. I'm going to close with this verse right here. Isaiah 43, 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. What incredible hope we have in God. He's saying when you feel like you're about to go under for the last time and you're passing through the waters, they're not going to overwhelm you. I'm going to be with you. He says then when you walk through the fire, remember the three Hebrew children? In the fire, not even a hair on their head was singed. God protected them in the fire. God is going to protect me in the fire as well. And you, you don't go alone. You will not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. God's not going to let you drown. He's not going to let you burn up. He's going to be with you next week, next month, next year. He's going to be with us. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes while you're seated. Where are you hurting today? 
Are you going through some deep waters? Do you feel like you're going under for the last time? Are you going through the fire right now and the heat's on in your life? Do you think you're going to be burned up? Maybe you feel like you're stuck in a rut. You say, you know, I just can't get the power to change. I feel powerless. There is a higher power to plug into. His name is Jesus Christ. The name above all names. I invite you to open your heart and life to Jesus. That's how you're going to take the second step. I want to encourage you. Maybe you're here today and you you just feel like, you know what? Yeah, I feel the waves. I feel my head bobbing in the water. I feel like I'm sucking air and water. And I'm not sure how much more I can take. I have good news. There's a hope step. There's a power. And it's outside of you. And it's outside of me. But it's available. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Hopelessness is powerlessness. But we move from powerlessness to powerfulness when we plug into Jesus Christ. It may mean for you, you have to get with someone, myself, someone else in the church, and open up your life and begin to peel back the layers and letting God deal with you that you can find healing in him. Would you be willing to do that? I would encourage you to take that step. I don't know if it's a personal issue you're dealing with, if it's a marriage issue, a financial issue, a relational issue. I just know that God is there to help you, and he wants to. And so do we. If there's something we can do here at Bethesda Church, please call us. I'll greet folks at the door. If We can pray with you even before you leave today. But the point is we're all broken people. We have to remember that. No matter what somebody looks like across the aisle, they're broken because of sin. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Jesus died on the cross for your sin, for your brokenness, that you could have a personal relationship with God. He died for sin, my sin and yours, and he wants to take your sin away from you and give you a new life. The Bible says if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. Give us that opportunity to pray with you. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.